I started experiencing my own mental health issues and I thought, oh no, like therapists with mental health issues, I need to hide that away too. And I started to realize how much I had internalized the stigma of mental health and that if, if it's internalized in me, then how many other people is it internalized and even people in the field? For you, why do you feel like it's important to be open about your own mental health challenges? It contributes to the stigma. Why can't we talk about this when it's such a large part of what makes us human beings in the first place? I think mainly what I was afraid of was mass media. If this thing caught on, would I be portrayed in mass media as look at how psychotic or manic or whatever they would say. everyone to Diary of an Empath. I'm super excited to announce today's guest, Dr. Courtney Tracy, also known as the Truth Doctor. She is known for her no bullshit approach to mental health. She is an LCSW and a PsyD. She's a speaker, a writer, and a content creator. Dr. Courtney, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. I am too. Thank you so much for having me. I've been following you for a long time on Instagram and TikTok. And what I love about you is that you share your challenges with your own mental health and with your own experiences that you've had. And you've had an approach to your content that's, in my opinion, very different than many other mental health therapists and advocates out there. Tell me a little bit about your journey and how you've gotten to where you are now. Well, thank you so much for following <laughs> and for knowing what you know and saying that, that it feels different. My approach to my content is, you know, I owned a treatment center in Santa Barbara and I was a therapist as well. And then I, you know, my husband was publicly arrested in the city where my treatment center was. And as a therapist, I felt like, oh my gosh, and he was arrested for mental health reasons. And I felt like I couldn't talk about that, that I should make sure that no one in my field or in my life knew what happened. And that in, in and of itself felt very in, like internally stigmatizing. And then I started experiencing my own mental health issues as a result of that traumatic experience. And I thought, oh no, like this isn't good either. A therapist with mental health issues, I need to hide that away too. And I started to realize how much I had internalized the stigma of mental health and that if, if it's internalized in me, then how many other people is it internalized and even people in the field? So I that's why I called myself the truth doctor, because at the end of 2019, I came out with the account to share the truth about how mental health professionals can have mental health issues as well. And I started on Instagram, went to TikTok in the beginning of 2020, and that's where it shot off because I think people... There, there are therapists that are open about their struggles, but there aren't many therapists that are licensed that are talking about the type of things that I talk about that I've done in my past. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it is very much stigmatized. I think we're getting to a culture that's a little bit more woke and a little bit more understanding of it. But I think a lot of people think that because you're a therapist, that you are perfect or that you don't struggle with these things. And the reality is that a lot of us do. And sometimes we get into this field because of our struggles and because of our empathy and our understanding for it. For you, why do you feel like it's important to be open about your own mental health challenges? 
I think it's important to be open about them because I feel like there are rare human beings on the planet that don't experience them. And I also think that in the helping professions, like like doc, doc, medical doctors, for example, have a higher rate of suicide than police officers because of what they're exposed to in their career. And I don't know the stats on clinicians, but I would say that we're a very vulnerable field. We're treating some of the deepest mental traumas of the people around us. And if at any point we experience our own trauma, whether in the past, present, or future during our career, it could exacerbate our own symptoms. And who are we supposed to turn to? And how quiet are we supposed to be about it? And I don't think that we deserve to be a niche population of human beings on the planet that have to be the ones that say nothing about what's going on. It just... And it contributes to the stigma, right? It's like, why can't we talk about this when it's such a large part of what makes us human beings in the first place? Yeah, that's powerful. I feel like we kind of are expected to be that niche that we're not supposed to be dealing with those things. And it's like, well, who do we go to for help? It's like, well, no, therapists can get therapy too. And I would encourage it, but <laughs> we live in this like hustle culture too. And, and, and it's always like this predisposition of trauma, even so if we're already dealing with our own trauma and now we're being exposed to other people's traumas, I encourage therapists to get therapy, but I think oftentimes we're afraid to do it or we don't know how to speak up because it is stigmatized, especially for us. So I love that you're kind of being this example for other people to say, hey, well, yes, I am a therapist and I want to help other people, but I've been through these challenges. I'm still going through these challenges. And so I'm kind of like you, like I'm, it, it humanizes you in a way. Do you feel like being so public with your background in terms of your challenges from your mental health has hurt you or do you feel like it's helped you? Well, when I first started my social accounts, I had a conversation with a partner in the rehab that I owned. And I mentioned something like, you know, my anxiety is just so bad. I don't think I can continue posting online. And she said something I'll never forget. She said, maybe the world needs a therapist with anxiety. Maybe the world needs a therapist with mental health issues to really just create an entire platform talking about it. And I was very nervous because all of the mental health professionals that I followed online were, you know, psychoeducational accounts. They were not as open as I was hoping that I would be. So I didn't really feel like there was anybody that I could turn to to see what the results could be. And it's been incredibly un unexpected. I have such a large community of mental health professionals around me that continuously encourage me to be authentic, open, and vulnerable. I have so many people from around the world that have said that I've, that I've humanized therapists and made them feel like, like they would be sitting across from a human and not from some robotic therapist, which, you know, and I don't want to call any therapist robotic, but there are certain techniques where it is very distancing the, the relationship between the therapist and the client. I think mainly what I was afraid of was mass media. If this thing caught on, would I be portrayed in mass media as look at how psychotic or manic or whatever they would say using the words inappropriately, right? Because they don't know what they're talking about. Look at this therapist, like she shouldn't be one or 
like therapists shouldn't be trusted. Look at how they're acting. And it ended up being the exact opposite. It, they wanted to take what I was doing and spread it globally from India to Australia to the United States to the UK. And it was amazing to know that we were at a point in the world globally in many areas, not in all, not in many, actually, um, that welcomed that and that said, let's let's do it. Let's break down the walls and, and show each other who we really are. I love that. I feel like for me, being authentic has just been what I need to do from the beginning because I can't I can't feel comfortable if I'm not myself. And part of my authenticity is sharing my stories, is sharing my trauma, is sharing my background. And I've been told by a couple people, like, do you think you're sharing too much? And I'm like, you know, maybe for some, and maybe for those people, I'm not your type of therapist. I'm not your type of content creator that you want to follow because I am really open. But I've also gotten the floods of emails and messages from people that say, thank you for validating that I'm I'm not going crazy, that it's not just me who was in a narcissistic relationship. You're smart and you were in it. I'm like, yeah, because I'm human. I fell for the manipulation too. I've been there. I get it. And we need more of that because I think as psychotherapists, we're trained to kind of separate our emotions sometimes. But in reality, I think that is the beauty of it. And what makes us even better therapists is when we're able to connect with people. You, you talk a lot about your history with borderline personality disorder. For me, I feel like BPD is one of the most hard to understand diagnoses for a lot of people. Um, it's one of the most stigmatized in my opinions. And I would really love for you to explain what borderline personality disorder is, because I think a lot of people don't know what it is or have a misconception of what it is. Yes, this is a great question. And, you know, I and I, I want to start off by saying I'm still figuring it out. And that's important because one, I'm still figuring out my own experience. But two, I am part of a field that's still trying to figure it out. Like We need so much more research to be done on it as well. I was recently diagnosed with ADHD com combination type, and I realized that I've had it since I was young. And I think that that played a really big role in my development of, of borderline personality disorder. And they actually are diagnosed pretty frequently together and or confused one diagnosed when it should be the other. I grew up in an environment that was very dismissive of who I was as a person, my sensitivities, um, my anomalies, the things that made me different. And so when you're a child, you want to be in an environment where yourself is reflected back at you. And I did not have that at all. And so throughout the years when a human is supposed to develop a sense of self, I didn't get that. And that's one of the major characteristics of borderline personality disorder is a lack of sense of self and a molding to your environment for survival. And they call that sort of mirroring the behaviors of the people around you. And so, you know, sometimes people will be like, oh my God, they don't know who they are. They're pretending to be this person one day, then that person another day. And from the outside, it's easy to judge that. It's like, look how unstable this person is. Who are they even? And that in turn makes it really difficult if you are lacking a sense of self to engage in stable relationships because you aren't quite sure who you are to begin with. So you aren't really getting that real connection with the people around you. 
when you have a lack of sense of self, you can tend to feel very empty. So feelings of emptiness is a large factor in borderline as well. And that feeling is extremely difficult to describe. And it feels almost like a dissociative state where I exist, but I also do not exist. And I actually have a tattoo on my neck that says I exist because that is such a an important statement that I have to remind myself of sometimes. The feeling of emptiness is like you're a shell and you feel only the terrible things, but they actually don't fill you up at all. They fill up all of your environment around you. So you're still empty and you're drowning in negativity. So lack of sense of self, feelings of emptiness, unstable relationships. And then, yeah, you can experience dissociation or suicidality because it's so overwhelming to be in the body and mind that you're in. Um, substance use, risky behaviors, all those things come into play as well. And I think what's scary for people on the outside is because, is that you're usually the one in that relationship with the person with BPD and you're the one getting the outlashes of the mood swings and the I love you, I hate you. And that's another big part is ideation and devaluation of the people around you. Uh, you know, layman's term for that is splitting. And the reason for that is because many of us with borderline aren't capable of, again, having those close interpersonal relationships. And we also didn't develop a sense of self-trust or other trust at the same time that we didn't develop a sense of self. So when we are attempting to build relationships, we give out trust, even if we aren't explicitly stating that that's what we're doing. And then normal people, not normal people, but people doing normal things, it feels like a lack of trust. It feels like you broke it because our we're so we can be so fragile in terms of what hurts us and what makes us feel lost. So it's so overwhelming for people on the outside and it's it's so overwhelming for the people I experience it on the inside too. Thank you for sharing your vulnerability, first of all, and just being so open and honest about your background, because I know BPD is super, super stigmatized. My mom, um, I, sh she's not formally diagnosed, but my mom has a lot of those same type of behaviors in terms of the splitting, the I love you's, the I, the I hate you. You're just like your dad. Like it's been very, very chaotic for me in terms of my relationship with my mom. And she's got a lot of those BPD type of characteristics and tendencies. And for a long time, I stayed really, really angry and not understanding. But I think as I've gone through this process of trying to understand different reasons why people are the way that they are because of their history with trauma, because of their childhood, it gave me more of a compassionate sense. And so for me, I come from a place now of what she says to me doesn't anger me, I can acknowledge it and let it go. But I have to keep a lot of boundaries with my mom, though, because there are times where she just doesn't have a lot of self awareness and self insight. What is your take on individuals who have parents who are BPD and how to keep those boundaries, but maybe still have that sense of compassion. What do you do when you're the child? I think that that's a great question. And I think I want to start and thank you for sharing what you did. I want to start by talking about the fact that I am a parent with borderline personality disorder. 
And I really understand my symptoms and my son has never experienced them before. And it, it takes work every day. It's get, it gets easier, but it takes work every day. I need to know my limits. I need to have coping skills. And I think it also helps me being a therapist because I, I really understand that many of his toddler behaviors are developmentally normal and how to respond to them so that he grows up in a way that lets him be his true self and not be a traumatized child turned adult. Um, so I guess I preface with that because I think it's important to know that you can have borderline personality disorder um, and be and have a healthy relationship with your children. That being said, somebody that is a child that has a parent with borderline personality disorder or borderline traits that isn't on the path of recovery or isn't aware of how they how their actions affect the people around them and themselves. I always say that it's really important. This goes for partners too. The boundaries are really important. Like you matter. And I think it's, I think it's really similar to the, to the boundaries that I tell my husband. It's like, if, if what I'm doing, or we've been together for a long time. So this is sort of past, past boundaries. Um, but if there's something that I'm doing that's causing you harm and you're worried that I'm going to cause myself harm. So you would rather be in the harm for yourself so that I'm not, that's not cool. That's the time when you need to set a boundary and say, my well-being is more important than your well-being because you are affecting mine. Now, of course, it's not the more important of being selfish, but it's the awareness that you need to take care of yourself, especially if your parent cannot take care of you for you when they should be. I also think one thing that's important is to know to do your best to not judge your parent or yourself. Often so many things can be said from the parent that makes you just feel terrible as a child or and that can make you feel unlovable and like you're missing out on what a parent could have been for you growing up. And it's important to to know that it's not because of you and who you are and what you've done or not done that you're being treated the way that you're being treated. And you also don't need to solve the BPD symptoms for your parent. You don't. I think we all really get into that role when we see our parents struggling. And it's just not our place. It's our place to be a part of the family. It's our place to be there if we're not getting harmed and they're making progress and it's healthy. But other than that, we need to to take care of ourselves in a sufficient way. And that can be hard. People say, but it's your parent. But the, but I think the, the best turn on that is, yeah, but I was their child. Yeah. I appreciate the, the validation with that. It is hard. Again, I come from a place of compassion probably because I have a little bit more knowledge base on it and it took a long time for me to get there. But there are still times when I struggle because as a 36 year old adult woman who's very independent, I still will get the, well, look at what you did to me when you were 13. You still owe me an apology from when you were a kid. And it's like that connection is missing. It's like this constant victim mentality of it's everyone else's fault but mine and you owe me an apology for what you did and that's the part for me that I've struggled with the most but then I have to go back to 
she's not in a place where she has self-awareness or self-insight. No matter how much I've said, hey, I think that you should go talk to somebody. It's like those dots just don't connect. But I know that's her trauma. I know that's her trauma response. And how I look at it now is I don't necessarily excuse it, but I understand it. So for me, I just kind of keep those boundaries. And if she chooses to not come around, that's her choice. But she usually circles back, even though if it's like six months or eight months, she she does. And I think that's the really difficult thing when you're dealing with borderline personality disorder, too, is like this. And I'm not the expert in BPD, but just from my experience, it just feels like this constant need to validate them. And the more autonomy that I had in my own life, the more it became an issue with her. It's almost like I was an extension of who she was. And then when I started to become more independent, that's when those issues started to begin. Is that like a trait that you've seen with your BPD patients when they've had children where there are some issues when the child starts to become more autonomous? Well, I've actually worked with young adults for the most part that have had personality disorders. So I haven't actually had a client that has had children that were old enough to sort of have this this dynamic. But I will say that that makes complete sense. I think that we, a lot of people with borderline personality disorder have to identify with their external environment to have a sense of self. And so when somebody pulls away, that's a threat. That is a threat to their well-being. And then the feelings of emptiness come up right away, which leads to the lack of sense of self, which leads to the outward behaviors of to pull back in and protect, but doing it in a way where it's chaotic and and, and unconnective. And and the person's like, no, like this is not going to make me connect with you at all. Um, And yeah, we just don't see that a lot of the time. So it makes sense. And in my past too, my, I've been with my husband since I was 15. So most of my most of my interpersonal relationships are that even like I moved in with his parents even when I was young. So um, it's like I've dealt with that whenever I've been too much before I was recovering and he would be like, I need a break. Like you are overwhelming and like really traumatizing. Like this is too much. I'm 16. What the hell is going on? Um, I would lose my shit. I would lose it. Like I it was just I. It was the worst thing that some that he could ever do to me. More than like cheating, because then at least if he still wanted to be together, he could. As an example, but yeah, like the leaving and the not knowing if they'll ever come back, and that's the perception, right? If they're gone, they're gone. Because we then we just devalue right away. At times, yeah, it's one of the scariest things that I think can happen to people with this type of issue. It's like a, a trigger of abandonment or this fear of abandonment. And I see that a lot with, with my mom. And I'm pretty open about my my relationship with my mom on my podcast. I don't think she's a bad person. I understand her trauma. But there's just, you know, things that she's just not ready to heal. And, you know, in her 50s, I don't know if she ever will be. I hope she will be. But right now, she's not in that place. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about was the difference between narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder. I think there are some common traits, but I would love for you to talk a little bit about that because, again, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions between the two and one being mistaken for the other. Yeah, I think that there is a lot of misconceptions as well. And I think, you know, once you really dive into understanding the difference between borderline and narcissistic in terms of the development of it inside the individual person, it starts to make a lot more sense. So one of the major factors of borderline personality disorder is a lack of sense of self. 
and feeling empty. In narcissistic personality disorder, it's an inflated sense of self. It's I know exactly who I am and I want the world to know it too. So it comes more from a place of being really fulfilled or feeling really full of yourself in a way and not, you know, that kind of has a negative connotation, that statement being full of yourself. But I mean it in the way of a sense of self and it's the opposite. However, the behaviors can come off the same way because with a personality disorder, we are to a degree only functioning off of our perception of ourselves in the world. And it becomes very difficult to take in alternative perceptions. And the main reason for that is because we built people with personality disorders, we built our nervous system and the programmings in our brain in a certain way to survive. And often that was a result of negative interpersonal relationships. So it's that combination of feeling so afraid and really being fragile. Like even the, even the narcissistic personality disorder person is extremely fragile and that's where the behaviors come from. So it makes it really difficult because then we sort of act in the same way. Like we act as though we don't care when in reality we could care if we were cared for and we didn't have to care so much for just ourselves. So there are major differences, but I think it gets hard for people because humans can only engage in so many behaviors. The, the etiology of those behaviors is what's important. Where's the root? What's the cause internally? And that's what makes the personality disorder so different. I love how you explained that. And I think that too, the narcissist is, it comes from more of a place of like manipulation where I think the borderline comes from more of a, a fear-based mindset and correct me if I'm wrong, this is just kind of what I see. And it's almost like a fear of abandonment versus someone who's manipulating to get what they need or a supply, if you, if you want to call it like that. But there are some overlapping, overlapping behaviors. And I think people get confused between the two, which of course, this is a blanket statement. It's always important that you go see a therapist, get properly diagnosed and get treatment. But we see these terms that are floating around the internet, gaslighting and love bombing. And while they're very real... I think that they're becoming a little bit overused in some sense because we all have those narcissistic tendencies. We all have narcissistic traits. And I think a good amount of us have a fear of abandonment on some level. And I noticed too, for some, it's like they go through trauma and some will go into this cluster of personality disorders where some may go into a cluster of more of like anxiety or anxious attachment styles. Why do you think that some that go through childhood trauma develop borderline personality disorder while some don't? I think that that's the debate clinically right now. I think that that's the debate. And I want to get into that. I also want to talk about how when people have narcissistic personality disorder, that, that, that people do say that a lot of their behaviors are manipulation. And I think it's really important because I think, yes, in terms of interpersonally, it comes off as manipulation, like between the two people and the behavior itself. But I don't think that people realize that more often than not, the person with narcissistic personality disorder is not intentionally manipulating. Like there can be people that are aware that they do it and they know the effects and they don't, and they don't care. There are also people with narcissistic personality disorder that truly have such a fragile sense of self that they don't realize that they are unconsciously manipulating the people around them to feel safe and secure. 
So I just think it's important. It gets really villainized and every individual is different. Some people know they're harming and don't stop. Some people really don't, don't know. Um, and I just think that that's important. You know, people used to think that it was just experiencing childhood trauma that caused borderline personality disorder, but that's actually coming out to be not true. It, what we're realizing is that obviously there was, there's childhood issues that take place, but often it's, it's a, a genetic predisposition to certain needs that aren't met that isn't necessarily the parent's fault. It's that the parent's unaware of what's going on for the child and the child is too young to have language to express it. And so it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be trauma, but it can be an attachment issue. And then as that attachment issue continues, things can become more traumatic. As the child with borderline personality disorder traits gets older, the disorder itself can develop because then the person starts to experience life in a traumatic way, even if what they're experiencing isn't trauma. Like for me, I'm realizing that like I actually have a very traumatic experience where I was at Disneyland when I was 10 with my whole family and I was massively sensorily overloaded and I was like being, you know, quote unquote, a brat. And I was just kept being called that. It was so hot. I was like scared and anxious and so uncomfortable. And a lot of that was my ADHD symptoms that I didn't realize I had. And that, and that would have been easy for me to have you know, a coping box or coping skills that could have gotten me through that. But instead, I still think about that experience every time I even take my own child and I get overwhelmed if it's too hot or the line is too long, like my memory goes back there. And I used to think that that was just a result of my mom being a bad parent and like just she was so young and not being ready. And I'm realizing more so that now that I have this lens to look through and I'm working through with my therapist that I mean, yeah, my mom was young and she didn't know how to be a parent. And I was dealing with things internally that she didn't know anything about. So I think more we're realizing with personality disorders, it isn't that that the event was traumatic objectively, but that many events could have been traumatic subjectively based on what was going on for the person already. Quick, everyone, I just wanted to give you an update about a product that I've been using called Magic Mind. As you guys remember, I told you about Magic Mind. I've been using it for about two weeks now. It is a shot that you take every single day to help with focus and attention. I take it alongside my coffee. What I like about it is it has ingredients that are backed up by data and science, ingredients like matcha, honey, ashkawanda. You can use the code EMPATH20 for 20% off. Let me know if you like it and if it's working. Okay, back to the podcast. So you brought up, I wrote down two things, ADHD and the nervous system. I find that interesting because I think a lot of people don't think of any connections or correlations between ADHD and a personality disorder or what you described. And I was one of those people. And, and it wasn't until recently I read a book called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari, where he talked about how there's a lot of research that shows the connection with ADHD and trauma and how it actually may not necessarily be ADHD, but more of a trauma response. Because if your nervous system is constantly activated, you're not focusing on the things that maybe around you, you're focused on surviving or you're focused on a potential threat. So I would love for you to touch base a little bit on the connection with ADHD, the nervous system and borderline personality disorder and how one might be diagnosed incorrectly. Well, I think 
you know, ADHD is, you know, mainly very simple, in a very simple way, a dopamine problem that leads to attention and a concentration issue. What's interesting is that at the same time, you know, that it leads to impulsivity or inattentiveness in and of itself. And we don't experience anything as human beings that we don't experience in our body and in our brain. And those two things are part of the nervous system. Our whole body is full of nerves. And so if we are impulsive, then we're experiencing cortisol increase or adrenaline increase. And if we're inattentive or we're experiencing, you know, states of depression because we can't get our to-do list done or we got fired from our job or our room is so dirty we can't even clean it, um, then we're going to experience more of a, of a negative parasympathetic experience where we're going to be more in maybe that freeze mode. Um, and that matters. It matters whether, you know, our nervous system gets affected by ADHD and ADHD gets affected by our nervous system. I think the problem comes in, I think people are misdiagnosed with borderline personality disorder more often when they should be diagnosed with ADHD versus the other way around. Um, And I think gender role or gender plays a large role in that as well. I think that, you know, in general, boys are diagnosed more with ADHD Females are diagnosed more with borderline personality disorder, and that has a lot to do with what society expects women and men, boys and girls, human beings that are in this dichotomy um, to act as. And I think we're realizing more and more, thankfully, that every single person is individual. And just because you call yourself a man or a woman, it doesn't mean that your body looks or acts a certain way. I was just going to ask you about that too, about, you know, the, the difference between men and women. I think that's so true. Women seem to have like a stigma with certain diagnoses or certain expectations. Well, that should come more from a woman than a man. And you would think that in our society as therapists or in the medical profession that we wouldn't do that. But I think that we're still, you know, we've, we've been exposed to these biases probably our entire lives, you know, so it's hard to just erase that. But that's such a good point. I agree with you on that one. So what would that for those that are listening and that are maybe thinking, I may know someone with BPD, or maybe that's me. Can you give some examples of what that would look like in a relationship? I know that's kind of a blanket statement, because everybody's different. And it might come out in different ways, but maybe just a general understanding of if you are someone who has borderline personality disorder and you're in a romantic relationship, how might that look with your partner? Hmm. That is a good question. (laughs) I mean, I've had the same partner having borderline as a teenager, as a young adult, as an adult, and now as a parent with the same person. And it has evolved so much over the years. I think the first thing to know is that depending upon where the person's at developmentally, the symptoms are going to show up differently. So when I was younger, it was constantly calling my partner, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you not hanging out with me? I want to be with you every second. And then being hyper aware of everything that he was saying does he like this other girl? Because he looked at her that way and looked at me this way. And I think that's a really important thing to know about people with borderline. The part of the human brain that analyzes facial expressions has a much more difficult time of separating neutral faces from angry faces. We more often think someone is mad at us or at risk of, or like about to leave us when they just say something totally normal. Um, So that's something to keep in mind is like, you know, no space when you're a teenager or a young adult in college, for example, like your friends are my friends, 
I'm always hanging out with you. And then that quick devaluation or ideation, I love you now, I just don't want to be with you anymore. I think I broke up with my boyfriend before he was my husband like 12 times in like six years. And it was always over something that I thought was happening that wasn't actually happening. Um, And we know that now. So that's some ways that it can look. Um, I think a lot, I think another thing maybe like in older adulthood is like them being worried that you're like at work for too long or that you don't come home right away. Um, Or like just saying things that really make you feel bad about yourself whenever they might feel bad about themselves. I know that that sounds like so generic, but these are the things that I would look out for. I would also look out for somebody who, you know, often people with borderline because of the lack of sense of self, when we feel overwhelmed, we can quickly turn to, if you leave me, I'm going to hurt myself because that's often the way that we can be like, oh, wait, I must exist because now, because I can make myself not exist. Um, And that's a weird thing that we grapple with a lot of us all the time. And that's a very overwhelming statement to hear as a partner. And it's important to know that if that is a behavior that's going on in your partner, you're not going to fix that problem by always giving in to that statement. I think it's really important to like give them a list of things that they should do if they feel that way and just say like, I can't always be around you as much as you love them. And my husband has had to do this with me. We got married at 20, so we were still really young when this happened. Um, But he has had to walk away before. When I'm in that state, I'm like severely intoxicated. I'm like, I'm not okay. This is going to happen. And I'm like harming him, which is hard to talk about, but it was more than 10 years ago. Um, and he's just like, I need to go, you know, like, and it's this push and pull, you know, that's why they wrote that book. I hate you. Don't leave me. Like, that's real. I feel like as much as I feel like that's a very stigmatized way to describe what happens. I also think that that is a way to describe what happens. So if that's something you experience, it's something that you really got to tread lightly over and know that it's really not your responsibility. I want to flip the coin. So for those that are on the other side and have a BPD partner and or parent, and maybe they really want to try to help the other person, what are some things that they can do that might be helpful that they can provide in terms of assistance or just being there for their BPD partner or spouse? That's a great question. And me and my husband have really had to figure this out (laughs) because he's like, I want to be with you. Um, and he's made that pretty clear over. Does all he have years. a brother? Because I'm like, I'm loving your husband right now. <laughs> Let me know if he's got a brother. <laughs> he does, but he's in jail. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> um, yeah. So one of the things that has actually been really helpful is having my husband just really understand what happens to me physiologically, because. Often I can't describe what's happening to me psychologically or mentally when I'm in this state where I feel like I'm just, I'm at, I'm at the top, I'm at my limit. And so he, we've worked together to learn my signs of, you know, like I start talking like a little faster because I'm more overwhelmed and like I'll be a little bit more snappy or I'll like feel really hot. And I'll say those things to him. And then he knows that, you know, within a couple minutes, for example, I might need to just 
like effing walk away from the situation that we're in and like take time. It happens a lot actually with our child because he's three and a half, almost four, and he's so loud now and, you know, he's learning to throw things you shouldn't throw. And like, it's just, for me, it's so, it, it, it's gotten so much better, but it's still difficult at times when I'm feeling really overwhelmed to deal with a toddler that's feeling really overwhelmed because my brain goes to these bad places that I don't want them to go. So we've created a parenting system while I continue to heal this part of me. Like it used to be where I just I would lash out. Now over the last seven or eight years, I, I can hold it in, um, but it still it makes me incapable of acting in any way in the moment. So I think that that's really like... The number one thing is make sure your partner really understands what you're going through. Like my husband just showed me a book he was reading on audiobooks, and the one right next to it was how to be with someone that has borderline. So he's still like actively working on it. Um, but understand, have your partner understand, and really work together to provide a non-shaming, productive coping strategy for moments when the person is too heightened. I love that. And I think that coming from a place of compassion is important. I've, I'm working on it actively. It's not easy being on the other side of the coin. I would love to sit here and say, as a therapist, I totally get it. And I'm able to cope because I'm not. There are times when I'm like, I cannot deal with the rages. I cannot deal with the hurtful things that come out of this woman's mouth, who as a 36-year-old adult daughter, you would think that you know there would be some understanding. And there often isn't, but she's not in a place where she's ready yet. But I'm trying to come from a place of compassion. And there are times when I just have to not respond. But I've noticed with me, if I'm being completely vulnerable and honest, I've developed like this almost flattened affect when I'm around my mom. And I know that's my trauma response because I no longer show emotion. So I don't show happiness. I don't show sadness. I don't show anger. I just don't show anything. And I feel like at my core, my mom doesn't know me. Like she doesn't know me at all, but she thinks she does. She thinks I'm like hateful or vindictive and all these things. But the reality is, is I don't, she may want love so bad, but I don't, show it because she pushes me away so much. So I'm actively still trying to come from a place of compassion and deal with my own trauma responses. And I'm very much aware of that. But it's a process. So like, I want to validate anyone listening, like whether you're the person with BPD, or you're the person that's dealing with a spouse of BPD, or whatever it is, it is an it's an active, I don't even know how to word it. It's just something that you have to take day by day. And I'm not willing to cut my mom off, but I also have had to learn to have like really, really strong boundaries and still try to educate myself on what it is. And I hope one day she talks to someone. We're not there yet, but I just appreciate your vulnerability and even you just going through your own process and your own journey. I know it's not easy. So thank you so much for sharing that. So where do you start with the healing journey? I'm even curious to, to hear how you started yours. If somebody knows that they're dealing with this, or maybe they're starting to come into a place of healing or self-awareness, where does somebody even begin? Well, I think I had a really interesting journey towards my borderline healing. I was It came out of nowhere. I was working at a treatment center and they ended up hiring a psycho-spiritual counselor who did meditation with clients. Um, at the facility. 
And we became close and he asked me if I had ever meditated before and I said no. And so he's like, well, I would love to just facilitate your first meditation uh, experience. And so we went into one of the rooms when we were on our break and he started doing what's called a meta, an inner child meta meditation. Uh, Meta in itself is just giving loving kindness to others um, or an experience, you know, people have manipulated it in many ways <laughs> against what the tradition was. Um, so for this one, he wanted me to go back to a memory that I had when I was younger. And when I did that, and he said to and give love, loving kindness to that person, I realized that I went back to a time period where I, where I feel like I had a sense of self when I was really, really young. And I, then I realized, oh my God, I, you know, I don't feel like that anymore. And I started crying and we like just stopped right then because I was like, we're on break. Like we got to go back to work. Um, but I realized, oh wow, like this, this, I don't know when I started feeling empty, but I didn't always feel this way. And it was mind blowing. And after I processed it with him, just friendly about it, he was a Tibetan Buddhist and he welcomed to me, the idea that feeling empty is almost the goal of meditation eventually. It's not to feel empty, but it's to be able to sit with your mind and, and be empty in terms of doing anything about it. And so I, I, was, I entered into like an immediate reframe of one of the most difficult symptoms that I experienced with borderline. And from that journey, I just started learning more about it. And I really infused myself in spirituality and specifically in Buddhism because you know, it, it it just fit all of the issues that I was having, like splitting and being black and white and, you know, finding the middle path and the middle way and, and learning, you know, the, the path of, of righteousness in terms of right speech and right action. And it allowed me to, in a way, engage in one of the four components of dialectical behavioral therapy without even diving into it, just engaging in that mindfulness and spirituality. And it was and I did that for years and years before really working on my distress tolerance. And now I've been working on my distress tolerance over the last few years. And it makes a huge impact. I think, you know, and dialectical behavioral therapy is really helpful for people with borderline to sort of dive in and get the basics of each of those four areas, um, emotional regulation, distress tolerance, interpersonal relations, and mindfulness. So you kind of get like a touch of each of those, but I think like the real way to truly overcome borderline personality disorder is to spend years. And I think that Marsha Linehan was right about those four areas, um, but to spend years on each of those areas and really deeply diving into them to allow yourself to change the way your mind and body react in each of these little parts of who we are as people so, I mean, that's that's the first place is, I think, to come to an understanding of, of each of those four areas and diving into all of them through DBT or diving into one of them at a time. And one of them at a time, I think, worked best for me because I also had my the psychoeducation, right? Like I am a therapist. So, but I think really diving into understanding all four first would be best for like the average person. 
I love how spirituality made such an impact. I'm very spiritual. And for those that have listened to my podcast, like they know I'm so I do tarot readings. I'm an astrologist. I'm a psychic intuitive. I do all of it. And my spirituality changed who I am. But not only that, as a therapist on the clinical side, but also as a spiritualist, I have noticed more changes in my clients that do spiritual work with me than my clients who have done clinical therapy. I am not by any means saying don't get clinical therapy and that therapy doesn't work because it does. But there's something about a spiritual component that just takes things to another level. And whether it's mindfulness or having self-awareness or just that that inert need to heal, I don't know what it is, but I feel like it's helped me more in my life and it's helped my clients. Like I've had clients that have come to me and have done like a reading or two readings or done some energy work and they've had more more progress just doing those than they've had in five years of therapy. And so I think that that's a really great way for somebody to maybe explore their own healing, especially if maybe they can't afford therapy, or maybe they're just not ready to do that. So I love that they offered that wherever you were. I've never heard of that. It's spiritual psychotherapist or what was it called? Yes. Psycho-spiritual counseling. Yeah. I love that. I feel like every place needs, needs someone like that because that's just beautiful. Um, I really love you just being vulnerable and sharing your story and just continuing to be human. Please keep doing that. I would love for you to share any advice that you would have for anyone who's currently going through BPD or even something that you would give your advice to your younger self. That would be stop hurting yourself because they hurt you. And I feel like that's really crucial and, you know, now I see that a little bit through a different lens because, you know, I really was like, I was traumatized on purpose. Um, but I still, I still was hurt and still was traumatized just with less intention than I originally thought. Um, but regardless of whether we think it's intended or not, if we've been hurt, we can have a tendency to hurt ourselves as a result. So I want to repeat it one more time. It's just stop hurting yourself because they hurt you. Um, so that's what I would give myself and the advice to other people as well. And I think something that I, I think I have to say for the borderline personality community is society has not done a good job at making you feel like you can heal. Society has, and the clinical world also has not done a good job at giving you the same dignity and respect, which is a part of all the ethics of the healing world that you deserved. You can get better. You will get better if you want to get better. And it will it will not be easy. It will not be easy. And it's totally, totally possible. And it's an honor to be able to have you listening and hopefully looking up to me as an example of the fact that you can get through it. That was beautiful. I love that. Well, Dr. Courtney, thank you for sharing your nuggets of wisdom and just continue doing what you're doing because there's such a light in this community. And this is an area that I think is so important to continue to destigmatize and just be that role model for those that are struggling with it to say like, hey, I've done my work. I've been able to heal. You can do it too. So thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much. This was awesome. 